0: Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Ghanies-Malker. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today for our feature on Women in Parliament is Ms. Dalmain Christians, who represents the Democratic Alliance Party and serves as a member of Parliament. She's also a member of to select committees one on education technology sports arts and culture and the second on health social and services welcome to the show
1: thank you very much dr malka um, i really appreciate being here i'm sure we'll have um, a very insightful conversation I know you've just come back from a whirlwind
0: trip on opening several branches, um, which has been
1: quite a fruitful endeavor. Yes, it has been. So, um, a part of my constituency is the Dikatlong municipality. And um, this is very much a rural uh, municipality, um, lots of far out farms. So, it's particularly problematic getting to these communities. But also remember, it's at the end of the year when no one is really interested in getting together to have a meeting. Um, but I can say, you know, that we've really had a huge success over the last three days in the Katlung municipality. We've launched seven branches and the people have really just come out in droves. Um, they want to meet us and um, all those who've taken out membership have come and we've launched the branches successfully. So together with my councillors, I think it's a huge success. And also just to mention that in the history of the DAE in the Northern Cape, it is the first time that we've launched seven branches in the dikatlong municipality. So I'm feeling very proud at the moment. <laughs> Great achievement. Good feather in the cap. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: South Africa is a multi-party democracy, and that's one of the things that makes everything so vibrant. Sometimes there can be contestation, um, but it is vibrant nonetheless. Our, parliament, parlo- our parliament's National Assembly comprises of 14 political parties, a Democratic Alliance obviously being one of them, and serving parliament is a national responsibility where decisions impact the lives of approximately 60 million people enormous responsibility. Can you please tell us what are some of the reasons that made you decide to pursue politics
1: as a career choice? Well, you know, I must be honest with you. I did not pursue politics. Politics pursued me. (laughs) So let me explain. I have been in education for 23 years. And the DA approached me in 2008 and um, I just was not ready. I was enjoying the academia. I was working myself up the ladder and I turned down the um, position that they were offering. In 2012, um, along came a similar position. And I packed my bags this morning and I went to the gate of the Democratic Alliance and I actually turned around and I said, no, I'm not ready for this yet. I know nothing about politics. What am I doing? You know, I'm going to be this fraud that actually knows nothing. I then called in and said, no, I, you know, this is not for me. In 2014, I was approached again and I said, well, certainly there must be something. And you know what I think um, has has then drawn me to it is my entire career. I started off as a junior primary teacher. So basically I started off in basic education. I then worked my way up the ladder where I joined the TVET colleges, which is higher education. There I worked my way up into student support where I dealt with particularly student support issues, NSFAS bursaries, that was my main duty to see to it that students got their bursaries and then eventually in my last few years I was appointed as the head of academics and that was, I felt that that was actually now I'm starting my career I am now the head of academics at the TVET college and here comes along the DA once again to take me away from my favorite <laughs> my my heart's place really but I joined the DA as the provincial managing director. And I think I really found my place in the world because, you know, you're so isolated as a teacher, really. Yes, you meet people from all walks of life, but there's such a wide world out there. People are in such need and in such suffering. So yesterday when I came back from my um my trip around the Northern Cape, especially the rural, I came home in tears because people are really suffering out there. There's no food on the table. And, you know, I usually carry a bit of money with me. And, you know, not that it is anything, but I, you know, you just want to help everybody, but you don't have the means to assist everybody. And here you are launching branches, you know, but people are hungry. So, you can't wrap the two around it. But a very good friend of mine said, but remember launching branches is the first step to helping this community. So um, the minute you get your branches together, you can now go further and take their issues to parliament. In parliament, you can drive their issues and see to it that communities get food on the table, that they get the grants that's needed, that their children go to school. And so really that is it for me. In the past, I've assisted so many people getting uh, major operations, um, getting schools rebuilt that are collapsing. Um, And I think that my entire career has really led me to this point. I've really been groomed over the years. And I don't know how many people believe in sort of destiny or whatever, but I've come to believe in it because I always ask myself, how is it that I serve on the committees of basic and higher education, as well as social development and health. And my entire career, that is what I've been doing and studying. So I'm really hoping that in the future that I can do more of that, assist people in communities. It's such an interesting migration from education
0: through to politics, but Honestly for every teacher or academic I've ever spoken to there is such a uh, a concern for their students uh, such empathy and it extends beyond the individual to encompass the family the the sort of the that network so i think that there are a lot of parallels between education and politics
1: absolutely
0: Thinking about the DA for a moment, how do you see its role as an opposition party to hold government accountable?
1: So specifically, I think in my role as a member of the NCOP, where I specifically have to serve the community of the Northern Cape. So I've really gone all out to do that because I don't think that the NCOP is used optimally. Our role is really to serve on a national level, our communities. So as right from the start, I decided that the Northern Cape, I'm going to serve the Northern Cape. And my role is oversight. So I've taken my role as oversight extremely seriously. And I know that the DA does as well. So we do oversight on every single process locally, provincially and nationally. And I think that's really what is our guiding um, light or stone for, um, you know, getting to see what is wrong in the system and then trying to fix it, or trying to assist in changing policies and processes. So my oversight role um, I take very seriously Um, And I've done oversight at many, many institutions across the Northern Cape, Um, hospitals, um, mental health hospitals, schools, especially um, municipalities. I go out there and I see to it, you know, that I speak to whoever's in charge, ask them. And it's never a matter of attack because I always try and go in with the notion of what can I do to assist you? So let me give you an example of a recent matter that I'm working on is the dikatlong municipality. Currently, the reason why I was a little bit like, the entire community is without water once again. And I have been trying to assist the municipal manager because apparently they've um, um, procured a generator for the past three years because of load shedding, the water is unable to be you know reticulated into the reservoir, so I've asked her why not try to letter it to Escom and ask them not to switch the lights off at that particular point, or otherwise, let's get you the generator. If you are struggling to procure something, let me help. let's sit around the table. you know, but even that is a problem. so this morning after this meeting, that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to write to Eskom and ask them not to switch off the lights there because at the moment the school is without electric um water and electricity, the hospital, the clinics, as well as all the old people and the babies and so on in that area. So really oversight is important, holding them accountable, but more than that, looking for solutions to those.
0: When we talk about issues of services, things which should be basic provision of electricity and the the impact that it has on so many other services. So if you don't have electricity, if you don't have power for the generator, that you're not able to extract water to then go and service all of these areas of need. And if you think about the hospital environment in particular, water is so critical. So clearly being in parliament is a commitment that goes well beyond a standard nine to five job. Mm -hmm. On a practical level, what tools do you use to help you navigate work, home, life,
1: balance, or integration, perhaps? So, you know, I'm not going to lie about it. It's an extremely difficult job. I feel that Um, you really need to look after what I've realized in the last two or three years is that if I don't look after myself, I'm unable to do the job. My battery runs low and I often find myself out of energy. And I'm not really good at looking after myself, I must admit. But the first and foremost is looking after yourself, your own mental health and your own physical health. Extremely important. Otherwise, you would not be able to do a three-day stint like I've done on the road currently. Um, if you have children, and lucky for me, I have older daughters, uh, 27 and 25. But you know our children are, they never really, my, my daughter just asked me yesterday, mommy, what is my tax number? You know, so, so they're never really um, out of your home or out of your heart. So you have to juggle that um it's difficult but if you don't look after yourself you are going to burn out and the only advice i can give there to anyone is that you should have early nights if possible and early mornings um if the earlier you get up the more you can do my kids often ask me why you came home at at a late time why are you up so early because that's when i can do my administration work that's when I can do my, my um, WhatsApp. I can answer those before all the calls start and all the problems start because my phone rings 24-7, people just asking me, you know, can you assist me with this hospital? There's no medication at this clinic. Can you find out what's happening? So yeah, it's, it's a balance. I don't always get it right. Um, but I between it all, I, I do try to juggle it.
0: So the self-care component is important because if you're not able to take care of yourself and ensure that you are performing optimally, that's going to compromise the way that you work. So this is, uh, let's say, it's it's probably a feature that most people have to do in, in any type of job. You've worked in the educational sector. You've now worked in the political spectrum what would you say to women who are considering a career in in politics or to encourage them to take up this uh, type of vacation?
1: Many women I think have recently seen that um, it's not unattainable, but I think what scares off many women is that it is hard work and often you are on your own. You are, You know, the vastness of the Northern Cape is often extremely daunting. Driving on your own, um, going to communities that are often dangerous, quite frankly, but where you have to make an impact, where you have to speak to them. Um, Just day before yesterday, I launched a branch where I sat on a stone um, writing my notes. And that's the kind of thing that you have to be able to do. So I think. You know, if I could give advice to any women is that don't do it too early in your career. I think that's first and foremost. And I know often people say that we need to bring in younger people, you know. But from my own experience, I think that my background has given me the tools to cope. Because at the TVET colleges, I worked with strict deadlines. You know, the bursaries must be in at this particular time exams start on this particular time. Things must be dealt with and written off at this particular time. And politics is very similar. So if you don't have those tools that you've learned in a previous career, in a previous lifetime, you are going to battle in politics. So do it when you are a little bit more mature. And and certainly education plays a huge role. I think that uh, people are mistaken if they think that you can go into politics and not have a certain um, educational background. I think that is imperative because we sit with legislations, acts, uh, documentation that you have to read and really understand, put it to work in parliament. So, um, and really just have grit and perseverance Uh Well, and I think mentorship, find yourself a good mentor, somebody who can really show you the ropes, that to me.
0: You've certainly demonstrated the, um, the value of transferable skills from applying them from one type of industry through to a different type of industry. Staying for a moment on education, which is clearly a critical feature in in terms of anything that anyone does. You hold an MBA from UNISA. You've got a master's degree in educational psychology from University of the Free State. Besides going into the educational and academic sector, what role has education played in your life?
1: Well, it certainly makes you more confident. Um, you know, and it certainly allows you to read a document with understanding. Um, For me personally, it has allowed me that, you know, the wool doesn't get pulled over your eyes when people are discussing. And you can certainly see when uh, the difference between a truth and a lie. You can, I mean, when you're reading a document, you can read the fine print, you are aware of that. And I think in politics that we often don't do that because we sit with such volumes of work, we are often unable to see the fine print. And a love for reading, I think, should really be one of the major aspects in, and and that you can only develop through years of study and reading and, you know, just personal growth. Um, It is so imperative that people understand that there's no shortcuts to any career. And I often see the youngsters, I've I've encouraged my children to study because I've made it very clear to them that there are no shortcuts. And should there be a shortcut, it will be a short career. And so in my opinion, a long-term academic career can lead to a long-term and, and really successful career.
0: We can hear your passion on the education side, on the development and lifelong learning. Yes. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, and today we're talking to Ms. Dalmaine Christians, who represents the Democratic Alliance Party and serves as a member of Parliament. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Ms. Christians, one of the things, and let's say one of the negatives that we have in this country is gender-based violence. There was a 2022 report on the cost of GBV, which was produced by the University of Johannesburg in collaboration with the Share Value Africa Initiative. And it noted that due to the prevalence of GBV in South Africa, the World Health Organization estimates that the human capital cost, so combining the costs across all age groups, was almost 2.9 billion U.S. dollars in 2019. And this human capital loss refers to the damage or loss caused to people or societies, including amongst variable components, uh, material loss, social costs, psychological damage, This is such a significant figure, let alone the the monetary aspect. But in terms of the, the psychological and human damage that it causes, our country can't afford GBV. What types of interventions are you seeing in Parliament to help curtail and eventually eradicate
1: GBV? Certainly not enough. Certainly not enough, you know. I often think and see that it's all talk and no action. One of the first questions I asked the minister, um, you know, just when I started my journey was whether he thinks, and at that stage he had allocated um, something like one, and I'm speaking under correction, 1.1 million rand or... Something like that towards gender based violence as a start. And I asked him in Parliament if he thinks that that is enough. And he had answered that no, it is not enough. They know it's not enough and they will be allocating more. However, I've watched the trend over the past few years and certainly money has been allocated to gender based violence. But it hasn't made the necessary impact. And I often think that their policies and processes are not easily implementable. So the money is there, the policy is there, but they are unable to carry out what is necessary to curb gender-based violence. And as harsh as what it may seem, You know, when I travel through the communities in in the Northern Cape, these people have come to accept gender-based violence as part of their society. They have come to accept it. You know, yesterday I was walking through the communities and a young lady came up and, you know, the other people said, you know, she was just raped last week. And I thought to myself that, you know, it's just like they've accepted it. It's the norm. It's, there's nothing they can do. And she's walked into this meeting. And when I looked at her, physically, she looks okay. But I'm sure mentally, she's falling apart. And I asked afterwards in a side talk to her, I asked her if she's okay. And then she opened up to me. And I asked her if she had received any assistance or if she had gone to the clinic, whether DNA um, was done where whether a rape kit was, she said she went to the police station, but there was no uh, rape kit available. And she decided that because the people at the police station were so rude to her, she decided she can't go through further trauma and that she went home. And let me tell you, that is the norm across the country that women who would rather go home, wash themselves, curl up into a ball into bed, and leave it there because there are no answers.
0: That is so wrong. It cannot be normalized. Given your experiences and working with these rural communities, and yes, we've obviously got urban communities, but I think urban communities are
1: are, are certainly better off than the rural sector. What can we do? I think that we need to have more centres both. Um, We need to have... uh, you know, and when we build these centers, they must be advertised, you know, if they go to the police station and, um, you know, make a case against someone who has raped them, they need to be then directed to a specific center where they can get the necessary assistance. Um, and these NGOs must be assisted financially, which currently is not happening. They get assisted for two or three months and then... From there, they struggle to get their money from the necessary um, government department. So certainly our NGOs are underfunded. We do not have enough um, safe homes for women across the country, well, especially in the Northern Cape, because the Northern Cape is so vast. And then I think our police force really needs to be retrained on the entire gender-based violence. Their, Their reaction needs to be when it's a rape case, they need to act promptly. But even they are, and what is the word I'm looking for? They are dis. Um, <laughs> the word. Uh, th- they don't feel it anymore. They are numbed to it. When someone comes in and says that they have been raped, so. Our police force definitely needs to be retrained. If the year someone in the community has been attacked, that police van needs to go up immediately to that community. But that, I mean, they don't even have police vans in most of the rural communities where I work. So our SAPS, our health system, and certainly our social services, where you know that we have a lack of social workers, yet social workers are sitting at home, fully degreed, but they are not being used in our communities. So where are our social workers to go to these women after they have been attacked? That is also not being done. Um, many of these women get lost in the system and eventually mentally they they are destroyed because they do not get the proper assistance.
0: So we've got good intentions, we've got policies, we've got money, but we have broken processes and systems, which means that the entire value chain is ineffective.
1: Yes. Yes. Because when the money is allocated and not used correctly, it means nothing to anyone.
0: Gosh, very um, disheartening. But... At least we have a a target and we know what those solutions should be. And hopefully we can drive some change to have some cohesive efforts that fix those systems to help women and um, not normalize GBV. Yes. Today, we're talking to Ms. Delmayne Christians, who represents the Democratic Alliance Party and serves as a member of parliament. We'd love to receive your comments on Twitter at WomanityTalk. Ms. Christians, turning more towards a personal perspective, one question that I ask all my guests on the show is about the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. And for me the beauty of this question is that everybody brings a, a different recipe because we're all different so if you could please share with us in your opinion what have been some of the factors that have helped you succeed?
1: Well I think first of all a network of, of very strong women in my family um, and support the support of of friends and family and so on but Let me tell you that you, and unfortunately, I think when you get to my age and you've achieved success, that you've certainly suffered a few losses as well. So along the way, I've lost a lot as well. Um, But what has contributed to my success is really perseverance. Um, I feel that if you have the grit to keep going, Throughout my career, that has been, um, because certainly, you know, when you are first embarking on a career, there's many loopholes, many blockages, etc. But if you pick yourself up every time and you carry on and you persevere and learn from those failures and try not to take them, you know, carry them on your heart for too long. Um I think that you can really make a success out of your career. Uh again education takes you a long way. Study, read and not just studying. I think reading is very underrated. <laughs> read anything, read the newspaper, read the magazines, um anything that you can get your hands onto. And certainly I think that what I've learned, because I'm somewhat of a sensitive person, I think that you need to grow a thick skin, and I've only recently been able to do that, so grow a really thick skin if you want to be successful, otherwise you are not going to make it, it's, you're going to carry it on your heart, you go to bed with it, and you'll get up with it in the morning, but if you are able to think about it and work through it and put it into perspective, I think you can make Um, you can carry on, and you can achieve more. Um, But certainly to end off, I feel that you need to have grit and perseverance to make it in any career.
0: Very important attributes. We've got grit, we've got perseverance, we've got education, we've got the value of reading, and developing a thick skin, which is no easy task. (laughs) Yes. Please share with us some of the pivotal moments in your life growing up.
1: Um, I actually had a very idyllic childhood. Um, I think, you know, when you can say that, you are actually extremely lucky. So um, my mom and dad were together for, well, all their lives, my dad has now passed on. We spent most of our childhood in um, on a farm in the Free State. My father has a little farm there, or which my brother now runs. So we spent most of our childhood there. My father was extremely strict. Um, so every Friday afternoon, he would pack us into his bucky and he would take us to the farm where we spent our weekends driving horse walking up the mountains and just basically being free as a child. And I think that's really what shaped my childhood is that, um, you know, how important family life is and how important it is to keep your children together. And what we've lost recently is, you know, that parents really need to be strict on a certain level. They need to keep their children together so strictly that you know, because there are so many things that kids get caught up these days. Drugs, alcohol. At a very early age, children are already smoking the um, vapes. I believe that children as young as 10 have now started vaping. And so family life is extremely important. And that was part of my childhood is that I grew up in a very a closed community, really, because the entire community was closed where I grew up. Um, But also a strict family, we went to church twice on a Sunday and once on a Wednesday, (laughs) which sadly, (laughs) I must say, I haven't been doing lately, Um, but which has really been an important part of my childhood, you know, um, a career where, where you know that there is a bigger power, really, that you need to understand And you need to have certain values in your life and certainly those values have now been so important in carrying over to my work life because i implement them every single day of my life when i go out to communities i have the heart and soul to be able to deal with them on a spiritual level but also on a political level and i think that's what the communities in my constituency especially Appreciate of me. I don't ever start a meeting without a pray. I don't end a meeting without a pray. So, and the older communities actually appreciate that. So, to end off with, I'm extremely grateful to my parents, my mom and my dad. Um, my mom is still alive at 81. She is a nurse, and um, believe it or not, she still does circumcisions at 81. So, I think the work ethic has also carried over because I've seen my parents work all their lives, taking no shortcuts. And that is what I hope that I can carry over to my children, is that there are no shortcuts. You need to bear down and you need to do the work and you need to do it ethically in order to be successful. I think you've given us
0: great insight into some of the values that you have as you were growing up the importance of a solid work ethic, the importance of discipline and structure and family, uh, which have been such a a wonderful foundation for you to blossom off of. Yes. Mm -hmm. Lastly, as we close out our conversation today, please, can you use this platform to share a few words of Wisdom, inspiration, or motivation for women and girls that are, are
1: listening to us? Yes, thank you. I think, you know, women and especially young girls are such a passion to me. Um, recently, I, uh, because the DASO, which is the Democratic Alliance student organization, I also hold as my constituency in the Northern Cape. So I work with young people a lot and have historically. And what I've tried to do, not only with women, but with young boys as well, but women have always been at my heart. And I think what I want to share with them is that, you know, don't be sidetracked by um, the things that are happening outside of your goals. If you have a goal, you know, zero in on that goal completely. And everything that you do every single day must be attuned to that goal. I'm not saying that youngsters should not have fun and, you know, do some kind of exploring. But I say, you know, that be absolutely vicious in attaining your goal. Um, That certainly um, gives you the step in the right direction. And before you know it, because life certainly passes by so quickly. And before you know it, you've actually reached your dream. If anyone, if I could have gone back and told my younger self anything, I would have said, you know, um, zero in on your goal and do what you need to do to achieve that. But also trust the process and don't become too disheartened by what happens in the world. Don't become too disheartened by your failures. And also, you know, don't become too... Uh, don't get too much of a big head with all your successes because that can also get you sidetracked. But young women out there certainly, and I see a lot of them, there are a lot of great young women coming up and um, we need them in politics. So don't ever be scared of embarking on a political career. I know it doesn't have such a good name in South Africa, but there are actually a few good politicians out there. And we need young people who have the right qualifications and who have the right heart to embark on such a career.
0: Thanks for that wonderful message. I found it very motivational and especially the aspect of focusing on your goal. Make that be your outcome, your single-minded truth, and then everything else can, can happen. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you. So thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And um, I hope your future interviews go well.
0: You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity. And we have been talking to Ms. Dalmain Christians, who represents the Democratic Alliance Party and serves as a Member of Parliament.